0: The following audio is from River City Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at rivercityrichmond.org. Growing up, my parents faithfully tuned in to a radio show hosted by Paul Harvey, where he would utter famous words at the end of each episode. And those of you that, that know Paul Harvey can probably hear those words in your ear. And now you know... The rest of the story. I even remember my dad coming home from work and he would relay the events of the day in front of us, something that happened at work, and he would always end his story with, and now you know the rest of the story, um, as if it was some extravagant event. In his radio broadcast, Paul Harvey would tell stories that would unravel like a mystery and reveal backstories on a variety of people or topics leaving you surprised by what you learned in the end. For some, Paul Harvey's stories were the missing puzzle piece to a familiar picture. But for many others, it was the amazing backstory, leading one to consider the works of those who have gone before us to help us kind of know where we are today or how that thing came to be or that person came to be. And I, I think that concept is what makes history a fascinating subject or why Documentaries are popular, if you're not into those things, maybe it's why some or most love a good biography. If I still haven't grabbed your attention, I know why many of this is why many of you will watch hours of behind the scenes of their favorite movies. Just to capture all of the work that took place to make it what it is. So if that's true, how much more so should we be enamored with the great works of our God? without which we would not be who we are or where we are today. Our text this morning is a great way to close out 2023 and launch into 2024. And it's a psalm that leads us to remember the wonderful works of God as we praise Him for those works and ponder a right response to Him. So turn with me, if you're not already there, to Psalm 111. little context to this psalm. It contains no author, no date. However, Although we can't see it in English, we can appreciate the art behind this psalm. Psalm 111 is an acrostic poem with each line beginning with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And it does so in order. So it would be like starting the first line with A, the second line with B, the third line with C, the fourth line with D, and so on. Why do they do that? Well, on the one hand, it's because poetry, psalms are poetry. It's some, Almost all of them are meant to be sung. And so this was an art form, a way to express themselves in a very poetic way, to be able to kind of go through the alphabet and portray truths. On the other hand, this was a great way for them to remember some of those truths. So even a way to, for them to memorize. It, so... I think, if you're thinking about this, if it's a way for us to remember, this may be a great reason why you should not give preachers a hard time for going through alliteration, right? Um, We're just trying to be like the Bible. One other contextual note, though, is that Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are studied together because they follow a similar pattern with no title, no author. They're They're both constructed with the Hebrew alphabet, and you can see some... Similar patterns in both of them. We're just looking at Psalm 111 today, but if you're doing some study, I I encourage you to look at Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 together. Psalm 111 focusing on God and Psalm 112 focusing on the godly man. I believe when Psalm 111, if we're looking at this, the main idea of the text is this, fear God Remembering that His faithful works enable resting faith. Again, the main idea, fear God. Remembering that His faithful works enable resting faith. Upon a quick reading of this text, one can see that the overarching call is for us to remember the great works of God. So I want to highlight the beauty of who God is in this text as we remember His goodness, as we're going into a new year. And to keep with the structure of the psalm, our points for this message will go through the first four letters of the alphabet. That was kind of a fun exercise, figuring out how to do that. But this morning, here's how, how I want us to focus. A, adoration of God's works. B, benefits of God's works. C, the character of God in His works and D, the duty of mankind from God's works. First, the adoration of God's works. I mentioned that this psalm, it goes through the Hebrew ABCs with each line. However, the very first line begins with Hallelujah, which we translate as Praise the Lord. Now remember, when you see the word Lord in all caps, it's referring to the name that God gives of Himself to Moses, and it means Yahweh. So the psalmist is about to lay out his content, which is a display of the amazing works of God. However, before describing how to praise God, he simply does it. He begins to praise God. The language is actually a personal confession. Like you see in the beginning, he says, I will extol the Lord with all my heart. So there's a personal confession of praise to God, but he doesn't stop there. In the, he does so in the counsel of the upright. And in the assembly. In other words, he encourages others to do the same. So it's personal, then it's corporate. Praising God in the assembly is the aspect of praising God with others. So we know that private worship is great, but there's something gloriously unique when we can all come together and praise the Lord together. I love coming together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings when we're here together. Every gathering that we have, there's something special. We're going throughout the week. We're spending time with the Lord by ourselves. Hopefully you are doing it with the family. And then to do it here in this gathered congregation is a sweet time of praise as we honor and remember that God's works together. So we see that he's, he's wanting to do this in the council of the upright and in the assembly. In verse 2, we see that all of God's works are great, so much so that they're pondered by all who delight in them. In this psalm, the the psalmist uses three different words for works. They're they're closely related, and you'll see that throughout, but they're they're distinct enough that most believe that the first one actually refers to God's creation. We're going to see in the second one that works actually refer to redemption. But the word pondered here, look again at verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, they are pondered by all who delight in them. That word pondered translates as studies, if you're reading the ESV translation of the Bible. The original word, it means to carefully inquire and relates to seeking understanding on a subject. So we actually can refer to this word as studied. So notice that it's also something that's expected If you delight in God's works, it says they are pondered by all who delight in them. If you delight in God's works, you will not just appreciate them, but study them. Even more you study, remember this word comes from his creation, you study the creative works of God. You know, I think, and there's a lot of teachers in this room, I think this may be a good verse for every Christian teacher. Maybe this should be your class verse. Maybe even a specially science teacher. But perhaps some of you have heard of the renowned 18th century English chemist and physicist Sir Henry Cavendish. If you haven't, just act like you have. You can look smart for a moment. His laboratory in Cambridge, England, now called the Cavendish Laboratory, was founded in 1874. And it's been home to 29 Nobel Prize winners. It was there that the discovery of x-rays and electrons took place. By the way, I did not know all this. I had to look it up. But nuclear fission was first experimented with there. The first model of DNA was completed there. Now, some of you you may have heard of the lab. I get that. But get this. It is distinguished by having the words... Now, remember, 29 Nobel Prize winners have been doing their work in this lab... It's distinguished by having the words of a Psalm 111.2 inscribed over the entrance to his building as a charter for every believing scientist. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. So kids, check this out for a second. If you're a kid in the room, you may not like it when I say this, but school is actually really good. And actually, I believe that God really wants you to learn about the way that mountains form, the diversity of birds. You know that word metamorphosis they talk about in science class? The metamorphosis of a butterfly, the complexity of an ecosystem, and even why seasons change. It's pretty amazing. This is what I want you to get. It's pretty amazing to consider that when you study these things, you are learning more about God. This is why I believe J.I. Packer begins his classic work, Knowing God, with these words. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Verse 3 continues adoring God's works. The word for works here in verse 3 is likely referring to God's providence. That we'll elaborate on in just a bit. The distinction in the words is not too sharp. So we can say with confidence really that all of God's works are, what does the verse say? Glorious and majestic are his deeds or his works. In verse 4, the word for works, which NIV translates wonders, look at verse 4, He has caused His wonders, it's that same word, works there. It refers more to His redemptive works. And He causes, God causes those works to be remembered. We know that God causes us to remember His works through the Holy Spirit, but for the original hearers... And the singers of this psalm, they would have had many things that God used in their law and traditions to help them remember the works of the Lord. And we're going to see these spelled out in the subsequent verses. So we see in the very first, he's just adoring God. He's praising God for all of these works. But now I want us to see the benefit of these works. What are the benefits of God's works? What does God provide his children in the works of the Lord? In verse 5, we see that He provides food. Verse 5, He provides food for those who fear Him. Perhaps it's a reminder of the times that God provided manna in the wilderness. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 16. In the second part of this verse, we see that not only does God cause us to remember Him, but He remembers, it continues, He remembers His covenant forever. God remembers His own covenant, so much so that He always protects, He always blesses His people with needed provisions. In fact, it's because of God's gracious, merciful covenant that He does all of this for the Israelites. Whatever His people needed during the Exodus, God provided for them. In verse 6, we see that He has shown His people the power of His works. They are reminded of God's power as they remembered His provision. How does the rest of the verse go? Giving them the lands of other nations. This likely refers to the provision of 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 the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But think about the power here. When they're thinking about the power that God brings to them, the hearers of this psalm could conjure images of the mighty ways that God conquered other lands for them. Like the battle of Jericho when an entire city city crumbled just by marching and blowing trumpets. He did all this in remembering his covenant to provide them with a land of promise. So we see in verse 5, he provides food for them. In verse 6, he provides land. Food and land are tangible markers of God's ongoing provision and his benefits to the Israelites. So again, they always had what they needed. And told them to remember as they seek to follow his ways. We know that Jesus echoes this same sentiment in, in Matthew chapter 5. Verses 22-33 through 33. in short. Jesus says that if God takes care of the birds. And the flowers of the field. Surely he's going to take care of your needs as well. This image of, of God. Taking care of birds and flowers is remarkable. Think about, think about it for a moment. This image of birds and flowers how how busy god is at work providing the right weather the right food the right shelter and even something as simple to us as spiders silk to help make the nest stick together he's doing all of these things not because the birds deserve it but because god is god How much more so God continuing to do His great works often when we don't even see it, we don't even realize it in order to make us who we are today. In verse 9, He provided redemption for His people. For the Israelites, they could have remembered the redemption they received when God rescued them from slavery under an evil dictator and gives them the land of promise. They could also reflect on the redemption to come when they will have a perfect king A Messiah who will one day, for the Israelites, pay the price for the redemption and set them free forever. Now today we associate the word redemption with the salvation we have in Jesus. Romans 3.23 states that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But verse 24, right after that, reads that we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We have received redemption in Jesus. And so that we can read in Romans 5 8 that Jesus paid the price we deserve for our sins so that we could have life in Christ. So we think about the great works of the Lord. So we think about the new year. I encourage you today or at the beginning of the new year tomorrow to consider how God provides for you. Take a moment. Maybe even today at some point, just think about how God provides food, shelter, friends, family, the gifts that He gives you, even the things that we don't see that God is doing and even the things that we don't even need but we just want that God provides. God does this for our life and for our souls, so I encourage us to remember His amazing benefits as the psalmist says they are glorious and majestic so we adore god for his works we see the benefits of his works but why why is god doing all of these things and again as we my prayer today as we come together as we gather on december 31st the last Sunday of 2023 as we look forward to 2024 my prayer today is that we will stop and just say wow God is good look at all that God has done in preparing us for what God will do but before we continue in that I do want us to see why why is it that God does what he does and continues to do what he does that is when we see this in the character of God and his works so again, because of the way that the the text is organized, it can be a little bit challenging to to see really the flow of the text. Is it because it doesn't really follow a linear pattern? In fact, it doesn't really follow a typical pattern of a psalm, because they're trying to fit everything in the ABCs and the Hebrew alphabet. So it kind of jumps around a little bit. So because of that poetic structure, it, it was maybe even a little hard for me to prepare this message because of the lack of cohesion. But I say that to say I want us to see throughout the psalm, interwoven through all of the things we see in God's works, we truly see why God is so good and faithful in His works. In verse 3, we see that God is eternally righteous. In verse 4, we see that God is gracious and compassionate. In verse 7, we see that God is faithful and just we also see that his precepts or instructions are trustworthy in verse 8 we see that God's works are eternally steadfast even more his works are done in faithfulness and uprightness in verse 9 we see that God is holy and awesome that word awesome as we see in verse 9 holy and awesome is his name that word awesome means worthy of fear worthy of reverence so that'll play out When we look at the last verse. For the Israelite, they could easily reflect upon God's great works in their lives and see that He always acted righteously. They could recall His graciousness in providing more than they needed. They could celebrate His compassion by not destroying them in their foolishness and freeing them from deserved exile. They could readily reflect upon God's faithfulness as they enjoyed the land of promise knowing that God always kept His promises they could also see God's hand of justice by not leaving their sin go unpunished. They could even remember God's steadfast love, His trustworthiness of His law, His visible demonstrations of His uprightness. So all of these things that we see in the character of God, the Israelites could have conjured up memories, things that they would have seen in their own traditions that helped them remember all of these things, these great things about God. As one commentator notes, everything God says, His blessings, warnings, encouragements, threats, instructions, and promises are true. God's words reflect His true and trustworthy character so that they endure forever and ever. I hope that you've seen the word forever. That word forever is actually repeated four times throughout this psalm. It, so it's not just a looking back a looking back on God's works, a looking back on what God has done, but when it says forever, repeated four times, something we should pay attention to, this is ongoing. His works are not just good in the past, they are good today, they are good tomorrow as well. In other words, we look back and remember God's works, but we can trust and hope that we will always have something to look back upon when reflecting upon His works. Even more than Just seeing it repeated four times, twice the psalm states that God remembers His covenant forever. The character displayed in the Old Testament is most beautifully shown in the person of Jesus, in whom we delight today. God's works of redemption apply to us today in Jesus. Earlier, we read in Ephesians, Michael read Ephesians 1 Verses 3 through 13 of the majesty of God's works in our lives of salvation. I encourage you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 1. There are multiple provisions of God's salvation expressed in these verses. But I think the summary of all of these things are found in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did you catch that? When was the last time you prayed for blessing? God, I need more. In doing so, I encourage you to go back to Ephesians 1 verse 3. We have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. How? How do we receive everything that we need? Is it our works? Have we earned this? No. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. These are two verses that are familiar to us, actually 8, 9, and 10. These are verses that are familiar to us, but in light of what we're talking about here in Psalm 111, I want you to listen to this with that in mind. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When faced with our sin, we are reduced to despair. We want to fix our problem. When you think about your own sin, you want to fix your problem. You want to earn God's favor. You want to climb yourself out of that hole. You want to make things right. Yet for those of us who are not saved, or those of you who are not saved, the greatest work you can do for salvation is to quit working for your salvation. Jesus paid the price we deserve for our sin by dying on the cross and taking on God's wrath and punishment, but Jesus got up from the grave, conquering sin and death, and lives eternally, offering life to all who believe in Him. This unparalleled work is sufficient to save anyone. Any attempt to earn salvation, to do the work ourselves, is an attempt to outdo the works of God, and it can't be done. The greatest work you can do for salvation is to rest in a good God, with a good plan, and a good work available to all who believe in Him. So if that's not enough response, for those of you who are not saved, who are considering should i follow jesus i'm trying really hard to follow jesus i've been trying to to get out of my sin i've been trying to fix my problems and maybe you're thinking you're looking at 2024 saying okay i'm going to get that right this year again i say to you quit trying and rest in a good god who does good works but for those of us who are saved what is the duty of mankind from god's works The end of the psalm in verse 10 brings us back around to praising God for His works. Yet we see the proper response of mankind to a holy and awesome God is to fear Him. Those who fear the Lord have a continual awareness of Him, a deep reverence for Him, and a sincere commitment to obey Him. Really, this is ultimately a posture of humility. As the one fearing God sees God for who He is, like Isaiah the prophet, who... Encounters God and says, "Woe, in me, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips," or like the Apostle John who encounters Jesus in Revelation one seventeen and falls over as though dead. We stand in awe of God, knowing He is all we need. I, I like to take pictures, not because I'm a good photographer, because I'm not. I not on the gram or whatever. Like I, I just, I'm not a social media guy. I just like to take pictures for this reason, because I actually like to look back on them. So I'll, I'll just snap pictures here and there, at least one a day or one every other day, because I, I, I like to scroll through the pictures and look back on previous years to see where was I this time last year. But I've made it more of a of a of a habit or a practice, a discipline to look back and say, what has God done in my life since that moment? I was actually looking back on December 31st, um, 2017, and I found a picture where I'm standing in front of a fireworks show in Madrid, Spain, and I'm standing there with Sebastian Trager. At the time, I didn't really know Sebastian. Um, I knew who he was. Um, he had been... In- if you know Sebastian, you know he likes to do things really late at night and um, just kind of spur of the moment. So he had asked me to go and go see the fireworks show. I'm an old man that likes to go to bed at, at nine. But I went, to, I went out with him that night. Little did I know how God would continue to work in my life um, over those years and to see where I am today to see what God has been doing in my life even to this point, but even to see the relationship with Sebastian to be serving in this church and to see what God's been doing in this church. It's deeply humbling knowing that I can only do so much. So when I look back on photos, I'm looking back to see that these are things that I can't do on my own. God is always working in my life and on my life to make me who I am today. And I can, I can see God's work in my family, in this church, in my work, and more as I look back and see all the things that only God can do. The study of God's works leads to a fear of God as we stand back in awe of who He is. So as you consider a new year, what are your ambitions or resolutions? I would imagine that most want to live a better life or a wiser life, a life that walks in the ways of God, This verse says that the right response to God... Let's look at it again, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. A life that walks in the ways of God may be what we're looking for. And why wouldn't you? His works are good, righteous and just. His precepts are trustworthy. And verse 10 teaches us that this begins with the fear of the Lord. So what does that mean? Two things. One, salvation requires fear. One cannot receive the benefits of God's works of righteousness and redemption apart from fearing Him. If we cannot work for our salvation, we must surrender our lives to God, knowing that we cannot save ourselves, but He can. Verse 2, fear requires action. So why even close this psalm? with a call to fear God. I believe it's because remembering the works of God is, not, is more about not forsaking than it is about not forgetting. Let me say that again. I, I believe that when we think about the works of God, it is more about not forsaking than it is about not forgetting. Here's what I mean. If you're like me, you can't help but think of a mountain. Maybe a mountain peak when you try to grasp the essence of fearing God. Like, what does it mean to fear God? I often picture myself on a bluff or on the edge of a mountain cliff looking out of the vast beauty of land in front of me. And as I stand on the edge of that mountaintop, I'm in awe of the greatness all around, but slightly afraid knowing how vulnerable I am. One can have the same sensations standing at the edge of an ocean and pondering its depth and breadth. While feeling in awe... You also feel somewhat afraid so imagine at that scene you're standing on the on the mountaintop for example and you know and even remember that falling off that cliff will lead to death or that being dropped in the middle of the ocean could result in in a variety of perilous endings but you're standing there you're awe. you're in awe somewhat afraid and you jump anyway In that moment, you forsake all wisdom, even life itself, and fall to a no doubt tragic ending. It wasn't because you forgot, but you forsook what is right. In short, your fear was too weak. To remember the works of God is to remember, yes, but in remembering, you fear God Most of our sin is a result not from a lack of knowledge and not even from a lack of remembering that you should flee sin. Rather, our sin is from a failure to respond to that temptation in a fear of God, believing in faith that what God provides far outweighs anything that sin provides. The goal here, as we see, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The goal is wisdom which again is not mere knowledge, but God-given and God-centered instructions for how to live in a way that truly pleases Him. So as we think back on the the works of God, as we think about what God has done and what God is doing and what God will continue to do, our first posture is to quit trying to fix ourselves. And then to rest in wisdom, to fear the Lord, to come to the edge of the cliff and see how marvelous He is. See how great He is with a little bit of fear, recognizing Him for who He is with total awe. And say, God, I can't, but You can. And I want to do all that I can to please You. In 1963, Paul Harvey gave a radio address that sounded almost like the screw tape letters. It was unique in its content and didn't actually end with his rest of the story conclusion. The title of this address was If I Were the Devil. I'm going to read a brief excerpt from this transcript of this episode. If I were the devil, I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families that war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Within a decade I'd have prisons overflowing, And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. This address, and there's more to it, given by Paul Harvey in 1963, some would call prophetic. One could hear this and be shocked at how spot on he was for even 60 years later in 2023, and the way our culture is sucked into the temptations of the devil. However, I do not want to give this shockingly astute view of culture too much credit. Even more, I don't want to give Satan undue credit. While most, if not all of these things, may mark today's culture in some way, we can rejoice that since he wrote that talk, battles have been won over Bible's truths. Churches like this one have started and grown. Souls have been saved. Millions around the world have heard the gospel in places early missionaries would never have imagined. Scriptures are treasured and lives are transformed. How? Because while sin may abound, God's works are far greater. God is at work forever So as we stand on the precipice of 2023 and prepare for 2024, I encourage us to spend time looking back to help you move forward to the praise of His great name. Don't forget to remember. and As it says in verse 10, to Him belongs eternal praise. Let's pray together. Our Father and great God, we thank you for the gift of life that we have in Christ. We thank you that we can remember your great works and know that you have done the greatest work through your son Jesus in providing salvation so that we can truly be saved, that we can have redemption, that we can walk in your ways that we can know love that we can know peace and joy and hope because of jesus god i pray today that we would remember your great works and that it would cause us to move forward in a way that um again as i prayed earlier that it would it would cause the world to see us as reflecting christ not the way of the world thank you for your great works in our lives that are in our past, our present, and our future. God, we need you to do a work today. And those that are not saved, we pray that you would save them. God, for those of us who are saved, we pray that you would continue to work in our lives so that we would live for the praise and glory of your great name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.